Our topic today is assessing educational quality in colleges and that branding is not a substitute for learning. We have Lindsay Brecky Alois here, who is a private college consultant. Lindsay, great to see you again. Thanks so much, Lisa. So this is really interesting. And I've been hoping that we'd have somebody talk about the issue of branding and college and quality. So what, what are your initial thoughts about that? Yeah, it's really important. And the federal government is intervening and will cause some creative disruption in the higher education industry with a college scorecard. So that's really in response to parents and families wanting more transparent ways of assessing a college. It's the second largest investment any family is going to make beyond their house, the purchase of a home. So families are desperate to really have access to tools that allow that allow them to evaluate, like look under the hood and really get a sense of whether this investment is going to, you know, be a good one for their, for their students. Hmm. Okay. So, you know, what do you do? What's the next step? Right. So most families start with a guide, a guidebook, right? They start with the U.S. News and World Report, or they buy some kind of college guidebook and they read that. And they imagine that the narrative presented in the Princeton Review, or they look now there's online forums like niche.com. They look at those and they imagine that those are actual assessments of educational quality. Mm-hmm. And they're not. Their metrics rely a great deal on things like the size of the endowment, uh, annual giving by alums, average class size, and uh, percentage of faculty with a PhD. A lot of those factors are proxies for the wealth of the institution, the age of the institution, and the wealth of alumni. And insofar as the wealth of the alumni might be a proxy to educational quality because they've obviously done well for themselves, maybe, uh, but it's really not about the quality of instruction, the learning environment, the type of assessment and teaching being done, and the outcomes for students. Okay, those are those are separate tools. So I just encourage families, um, you know, don't mistake the guidebook um, for some kind of um, any kind of formal assessment of educational quality. So what do you think the use for the guidebook should be? Uh, a general overview and impression of top majors and uh, the organization of the curriculum and extracurriculars, location, sort of the type of student who's generally attracted. So I would say broad trends, yep. um, but you're not really getting into the, the nitty gritty. What's the core curriculum like? Uh, how many courses does this institution require outside of the major? Uh, What's the culminating experience in a major? Is it an internship? Is it a capstone? Is it a thesis? How prevalent are opportunities to conduct research with faculty? And by the way, who are the faculty? One of the uh, most painful um, pieces of information that I have to deliver is families love uh, the Ivy Plus category of institutions, right? Everyone wants to hire me to help their student, right, gain access to an Ivy League institution. And there's a lot of pros associated with, right, the most heavily branded, right, the most um, institutions with the best name recognition. But there are cons, and the cons are very real. And families just need to go into the process 
with their eyes wide open. They need to be aware that at R1 institutions, at research institutions, large research institutions, the IB Plus League, most of the teaching is done by graduate students or recent PhDs, right, who are not tenured faculty. And so if you think you're going to study with, right, famous scientist X as an undergraduate, you would be mistaken. Hmm. So how do you get under the hood of the brand? So the website does deliver quite a lot of information about what is the core curriculum at the institution? How is it organized? How many courses, like, is it a distribution model? Do you, how many math, science, humanities, social sciences are you required to take? Is it a totally open, flexible curriculum? And then there'll be a webpage for your intended major. So I really ask families to look at um, the structure of the curriculum and to ask pointed questions about who teaches the undergraduates. Because a lot of these institutions are excellent for graduate schools. They specialize in training PhDs like myself mm-hmm. um, at Harvard, um, but they do not specialize in undergraduate education. And so you won't actually really interact with professors potentially for the first two years, maybe even three years. The vast majority of teaching might be done by graduate students and adjuncts. Now, adjuncts are among the best teachers in the country, but they are precariously employed. And so they teach at two, three, four, five universities. They teach one class. They often aren't even given an office at the institution. That makes accessing them and really working with them, right? Um, challenging for an undergraduate student. It also means that, you know, who writes your letters of recommendation when you apply to law school, medical school, graduate school? You might imagine that it's the famous, right, Ivy League professor, but that isn't who's going to do it because they don't know you necessarily very well. Again, it varies institution to institution, but the, the graduate student or the adjunct will be the one who you'll need to ask. And if they teach at five institutions, tracking them down can be very difficult. Mm. Now, again, they are among the best teachers. They are dedicated to their craft. They're teaching at four or five institutions, which tells you their level of dedication to the field, but they are spread very thin. And that does impact, right? The educational experience of the undergraduate. Wow. And are there other ways as well? Um, So, I mean, it basically sounds as if the student really has to do a lot of work to figure out, you know, what kind of educational quality there is at the college they're looking at. No, I mean, you can really like ask, these are actually pretty basic questions at an info session or on a tour, right? Like what's the size of the first year seminar? Like look on the page and see what, look, what's the average size, right? Some schools, it might be 25 students. Some schools, it might be 250. Obviously the educational experience is gonna be different. Now, listen, some students thrive in a large lecture hall, but some students, they won't show up and they, you know, they, they won't, really learn as much in that large lecture hall, right? With a professor who's the sage on the stage in in a huge auditorium with a PowerPoint, right? That, that just, that is a model that doesn't work for everyone. It works for some students. Other students want to be at that seminar table with 15 or 20 students really kind of diving into text and doing discussion. And that's how they learn best. So what I ask, just ask on the tour or at the information session, like, okay, how large are these classes? Who teaches them? 
Is it the professor shows up for 45 minutes and gives a lecture once a week and then all of the discussion sections are run by graduate students? Or is the professor doing the assessment, the grading, giving the assignments, writing the syllabus? So I don't actually think they have to do very much, but they do have to ask the question and not assume that the guidebook is like everything they need to know about educational quality. That's really interesting because I think most people make the assumption that if you're an Ivy plus or top 50 college, well, your educational quality is exceptional, period. But it sounds like what you're saying is if you ask these questions, um, then you can pick the right fit academically for you. Is that what you're saying? Exactly, because again, some students will learn fine in a large lecture hall, right? Or the, the graduate students are the top graduate students in the country, right? Um, they're, they're being, you know, they're, they're superstar, but they're graduate students, right? And so there's going to be a learning curve. They're not at the top of their field. And so it's also about expectation management. You need to know what you're getting at that institution, right? Um, you know, I mean, like at several institutions, like the graduate students are unionized and they go on strike and like all classes are canceled for several weeks, right? This happened just in the past month at some high profile Ivy League institutions. Well, you need to know that those kinds of disruptions can happen. (laughs) Um, Whereas private colleges, right? Private, you know, where liberal arts colleges where the professors, right, are doing all of the teaching and there are no graduate students, that's going to be a different experience, a much Mm -hmm. higher touch experience, a much more customized experience. And that just might be the best experience for your student. All right. Well, we have to wrap up, but I wish this is like a whole, you know, hour lecture. (laughs) What are your final parting words? Just, uh, ask questions and think about learning. Don't assume that the the teaching and the learning is going to be amazing. Really figure out, do they do internships for credit? Do they do project-based learning? Is it like the sage on the stage kind of old fashioned lecturing? Or is this university really investing in innovative and exciting kinds of teaching that will engage your student? This is super, super helpful. I can tell you already. So if you'd like to work with Lindsay Brecchialoise, just go to findyourfitconsulting.com and you will find her there. Thank you so much, Lindsay. That was so helpful. Thanks for having me, Lisa. I appreciate it.